Right. You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad, and I am delighted that we're going back to talk to a wonderful lady who I had the opportunity to meet uh, virtually, uh, probably about two years ago now when she uh, published her first book, When All Is Said. And that was a story that was set in and around Mullingar Midlands, and it was uh, telling the story of a, a historical um, st- what happened in Ireland in many cases where you had the landed gentry and they had land and then you had people who worked on the farms and all the rest of it and how over the years things changed. In other words, the tenants became the owners and it is a reflection on that and a man who's looking back over his life. Well, Anne's most recent book, Listening Still. Um, it's a novel because I was going to say it's a novel concept. Because it is a novel concept. <laughs> Jeannie Masterson has a gift. She can hear the recently dead and give voice to their final wishes and revelations. And she inherited this, and it's a unique talent that has enabled the family undertakers to flourish in their in a small Irish town. Um, and the interesting thing about this book is, while that's one aspect of it, there are numerous layers to the book. Um, there's a love story. There are the intricacies of family relationships. There are the secrets that often happen within families. And they are all interwoven in a subtle way that uh, leave you, I must have to admit that when I got to the last chapter and coming towards the end of the book, uh, I was, wow, I never I never saw that coming. So, <laughs> and Griffin. Brilliant to have you back on, and thanks a million for taking the time. <laughs> it's so lovely to be with you again, Austin, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Oh my goodness, I don't need to say anything more about my my book at all. You've given it such a wonderful synopsis and uh, and thumbs up, so I'm delighted. But uh, yeah, great to be with you all in Canada. So, um, Jeannie Masterson and the Masterson family, they. Uh, have the ability to communicate with the recently passed. And while I said there that uh, they are able to convey the wishes, one of the interesting things I thought was that the recently deceased were able to hear as well. So efforts were also (laughs) being made by those living to convey some messages to the recently departed. That Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so she has this this gift. And as she says herself in the book, um, it's not like she hears the dad all over the place. She doesn't walk into a graveyard and can hear the dad. It's just in these few moments um, when the the person is is lying out um, within within the morgue, and and some of them just have these few a couple of moments just to talk to Jeannie or her father and to reach out. And really, what they're there for is for Jeannie to help them with something that has remained. Um, undone, unsaid before they left. So Jeannie is in a way, she's kind of a messenger between the dead and the living. And um, and Jeannie's had this, you know, she's, she knows she's had this gift from the moment she was born. And, and uh, her and her father are basically the only two people in Ireland um, that, that can do this. So needless to say, they have a lot of clients and people coming um, to, to their doors because very often the living want to know, well, what is it that, that my, my, my mother or my wife wants to say to me? What are those really important things 
Um, and so, yeah, Jeannie has this gift that at times um, is a real plus in her life, but very often and at the moment we meet her, feels like a huge burden to her. Um, and she, um, that what happens in the very opening scene is her father announces that he's retiring and he's leaving the entire business to Jeannie and her husband, Niall, who is the embalmer. Um, and, and suddenly Jeannie is thrown into a quandary that's been with her all her life, but she didn't really realize how much it had been weighing her down, where she's asking, is this the life I want? Is this the life I should have led? Um, and so ensues a couple of weeks where she is torn between what she just torn between what she could have been, what she is now and what she might be if she were brave enough to to take a stand. So really, you know, it's it's actually a fairly uh, even though I know we're talking about her here, like, you know, she's talking to the dead and maybe that might put people off. But really, that's just a part of the story. And this story is about somebody's realizing who they are and what really matters and it is it has all of the the you know the quandaries that we all go through as human beings in our lives sometimes when we hit those crossroads and we're going well what is it I want to do with my life and so it's just capturing that moment of a woman who happens to also be able to hear the dead um so uh I had a great fun writing it um, and I had great fun getting to know this woman, Jeannie Masterson, who, who is, is lovely and comes from a, a, a very, a very loving family. But again, as you say, and you put your, your finger on it there, when you said, you know, it, it brings out the constraints we feel within families, the difficulties that families bring <laughs> to all of our lives. Um, whilst you may love each other, you know, there's always, always difficulties there. And so, um, so, yeah, it's set in this small little Irish fictional Midlands town, although lots of people from Mullingar say they know exactly where this, <laughs> where this book is set. And they can recognise a lot of territories and places and, and uh, not people, thankfully. I've managed to mask any people. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, um, and if anybody who has read When All Is Said, they might be happy to hear that there are a couple of cameos that appear. Uh, within this book, which yes. is also really an interesting and an enjoyable thing to do. Yeah. So, so Anne, um, you mentioned there that that was where Jaylee was struggling, but Jeannie wasn't very comfortable with this from an early age in many no, ways. No. She was on one level, it was a, an, a, there was a certain degree of novelty about it, but the, the struggle you talk about that when she came into the business, it was more by default rather than by design. Um, yeah, I suppose because uh, Jeannie, was, Jeannie wasn't sure that, from an early age that this was what she, she necessarily wanted to do because she always struggled about it. Her father had this policy, okay? Her father's policy was in, in relaying the message from those who have passed that it should be a very positive one, you know, that, um, you know, he wasn't into if there was a if there was some some dreadful message coming through, um, like somebody never loved somebody um, in the way they thought or or that, you know, wh- whatever the bad message might be. His father, the father liked to sugarcoat it 
And so there's this whole thing about truth that comes through. And I suppose it's something that I find fascinating as a writer and as a human being is what we are willing to, what we are brave enough to tell each other. Um, and Jeannie struggled. She, you know, she had a struggle with, well, if, if, if we are here as the messengers for these people, but, but whatever their issue is, um, then surely we have to tell the truth. And of course the issue is, well, if they weren't brave enough to tell the truth when they were, they were alive, why then are we doing it? So, um, she, she always came to loggerheads with her father on that. And so she was, while she worked part time all the way up through school and all that, she then had the opportunity to leave because she, she met a really interesting young man in school who was a very creative young man who was very true to his own art and what he wanted to do. He's a photographer and Jeannie just loved the truth about him. Jeannie just loved that he wore his heart in his sleeve and he wasn't afraid to be who he was and he wasn't afraid to take the slaggings of people. And, and she loved this because she saw in herself that she was hiding something. She was hiding how uncomfortable she was with everything, with all that she had to hold inside. Um, and she was uncomfortable with how her father was asking her to do that. And so she really, really thought, this, this is my way out. And, and, and indeed, Fionn was offering her a way out. He was going to London. He was going to university in, in London and he wanted her to come, come with him. But she had to decide what to do when, you know, the family, the family business and also her brother, um, who's another lovely character, Mikey, within the story, mm. um, was in absolute need of her. And she felt that she could not let the family down and, and so this is why Jeannie at 32, I suppose, has been here. She has been given the whole, whole business now, everything. And, and she's, she's still thinking, well, is this, is this, is this the life I want? Surely there is more. Surely there is truth. Is truth not the thing we should all be following? Um, and so, so we're following her through this journey of, you know, what is it that matters? And in her, that, um, like you, you mentioned when she was at school, of course, she had, she had met Fionn. But yes. uh, so, um, as is often the case, this um, this was the school romance that then <laughs> she again had to come to say, is this what she wants? And she opted. Exactly. Um, and as we know, in so many love stories, the course of true love never runs smooth. <laughs> so so there were there were some hiccups along the way. Uh, but eventually, uh through a circuitous route for herself, and I suppose I don't think I'm giving it away, given that we know Fionn was the involved. Herself and Fionn come back together. They do indeed, in a very, very special way, and in a very surprising way. And maybe I will hold that a little bit. I mean, yeah. yeah, they do. He comes back and he really tests her. Yeah. He comes back in an unusual way, and he really tests who she is, and it kind of it brings it all to a head. It, you know, she can't, you know, um, for, for a couple of weeks now, she's been struggling with this all, with, with everything her father leaving, also with her marriage with Niall, who is somebody she's known since she was a little, little child, um, and who was a good man and a kind man, and somebody that, uh, that when people read this book, so many people love Niall, her husband. He is a really good egg. And, um, but Fionn comes back, the love of her life, and tests everything to the point that she cracks basically and she and 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 is forced into 
making a decision and it's brought on a couple of journeys um in order to figure out well what is it I'm what is it I'm going to do but it is I um Fionn and Fionn and Jeannie's relationship is is the relationship of you know of dreams in a way <laughs> it is a beautiful beautiful relationship but interestingly quite a few people have gotten in touch with me and said I remember my Fionn so you know we all have a Fionn out there somebody who 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 oh, just touched us so deeply um but also formed us too um and um so it is it is a it is a lovely relationship but equally her relationship with Niall is a lovely relationship and you can't help but have you know but feel oh, hold hold on there <laughs> what's going on um so it's it's i think it's a um yeah, I think people really, really like it because it has, you know, Jeannie's relationship to both of these men are complicated, as complicated as anybody's relationship is. And, um, yeah, I hope people, hope people enjoy, enjoy it and enjoy the decisions that Jeannie has to come to. Because they're not and, easy. Yeah, and, and, and you mentioned Niall there. And of course, the wonderful part of any story. Uh, is that when you come to the last page, you're still left with a question. <laughs> oh, all good authors should leave you with a question. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if anybody out there has read Anne Tyler, um, but I love Anne Tyler. She's one of my favourite writers. And, and, and Anne Tyler, she'll be moving me toward a wonderful, wonderful happy ending. And I've like read every Anne Tyler there is, from the new one that's, that's just coming out. Uh, but I know Anne Tyler's not going to give me the really, really happy <laughs> ending that we want. And she's going to put something in there. But each time I read going, no, she's going to give me the happy ending this time. She really, really is. And it's not that there isn't a happy ending. It's just there is that question mark because, and this is the thing, Austin, you know, that's life, isn't it? You don't know where things are going to go. And and very much the reader is, is left thinking or hoping it's this way or maybe it's that way. Um, and I kind of like that because in a way, writing it, I I kind of, I wasn't sure myself. I know I have hopes about what might happen, uh, you know, and and, uh, and so I thought, you know, I'm just going to leave this to people's imaginations as to exactly, exactly what, what happened. Um, now you do get an answer to a big part of, of the story. I'm not leaving you with the total mystery readers, I promise you. Um, but it's just a, a little question mark you're left with, which is kind of, I, I find it quite nice. My kind of story. <laughs> what I've noticed as well, Anne, is that there are currently a strong, and I'll use the term army, of wonderful <laughs> female writers. Um, yes. I think of yourself, Liz Nugent. Um, Absolutely. And um, I, I, I'm just reading, an, I finished reading a book and it's an American author, Lisa Boyle. It's called Dear Inmate and it's set in Lowell, Massachusetts around the time of the 1860s, 70s. And it's uh, the know-nothings are in. Okay. Uh, uh, and I started reading in it and I've got this terrible discomfort, uncomfortable feeling. Right. And I'm thinking as I'm reading it, 
that's what I'm she's supposed she's actually challenging something yes. within me. Yes. This discomfort. Yes. And yes. Uh, you know, you mentioned there another one uh, you said commented how uh, some was a real good egg and one I read recently was yes. uh, one called Good Eggs by Rebecca Hardiman. Okay. okay. And um then uh, I'm looking here at there was another one I I read um that was um the woman outside my door that's Rachel Rachel up in Dublin. Uh powerful story that'll come back to me as well. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, the, the, the quality of what's coming out would be, there was this perception. Uh-huh. That, you know, women write mills and bones or harlequins or oh, all yeah. the rest. Of, yeah. Uh, but uh-huh. the richness and the yeah, power and the wonderful work that's coming out. Yeah. From. It is phenomenal and it's wonderful to be a part of that, of that movement right now. Um, I remember in the year, uh, uh, that when all is said came out 2019, um, the Irish arm of the publisher, I'm published by Hachette in the UK, but the Irish arm of Hachette wanted to do a dinner for all, for their debut writers that year. And it was four women. Their debuts were all women, which was, it, it just, it, it, it had that feeling of there's something changing. Mm-hmm. Now there's there's a long way to go, I think, still about um the place of of um the female writers in Ireland. But you are absolutely right in terms of the quality. The quality cannot be questioned. Um and I suppose and the recognition is is there too. Um but that can always be better, I think <laughs> in in some ways. Um but you're right, we have people like you know, um, uh, we have people like Liz Nugent and we have people like Danielle McLaughlin. Um, we have people like um, Una Mannion, um, who is uh, actually Irish-American. Um, and it is, we, we are all, we all gather strength from each other. And it really feels like we are, you know, a powerhouse, really. And it's, it's wonderful to be a part, to be going out into the world when we go to international festivals, the amount of Irish female writers there is is phenomenal. And, and why it's there now, I'm not sure. Doors have opened. There's no doubt about it. Doors have opened. People are, publishers are actively coming and looking for Irish writing. But particularly Irish female writers, I know that in the Irish Times debuts to look out for this year, there was about 20 of them. One of them was male. Mm-hmm. So there is something very, very strong in terms of the tide at the minute around Irish female voices. And I think um, one of the things is there's a lot of truth coming out in Irish um, female voices and the experience of, of, of women. And sometimes it can be very hard to read some of that stuff. But um, I think the time is right. And, 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 the, and I think within the world, the zeitgeist is allowing for, 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 um, those voices to be heard and those voices to be read. I think it, possibly if you look in any culture, you've got a rise in female voices in terms of publications. I know that when, when I get a lot of um, books through the door and they will be young, um, and not just young, but just female voices. Um, and so th- there is a power in it. And I feel very, um, I feel very lucky that at the age of 50, 
you know, my my own debut novel came out and I was a part um, I was able to, I'm able to call myself as being part of that rise in quality in not that the quality wasn't always there. The quality was there. but The opportunities just weren't. And very much those spaces were were held by, um, you know, white, you know, male, uh, pretty middle class voices um, within Ireland. Brilliant writers. Nobody can doubt their brilliance. Um, and, and indeed, they continue to produce and I continue to read them as much as I would female authors but it's just lovely to see, see that space being shared more um i think there's still an issue around um the mills and boone thing i think there's still an issue around you know what was at one point called chiclet um is now has this term commercial fiction um so i think you know you will find that you could have an irish female writer who's writing pretty much the same stuff as maybe John O'Ryan or John Boyne or um, that, but we'll get put into the commercial end of things and we'll very much get, um, you know, dust jackets and that will look very much like for the commercial market. I get, I get that, you know, it's, it's money at the end of the day and how these things are marketed are very, very important, but, but there are still difficulties, you know, there around it, but, Without a shadow of doubt, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head when you say that the the quality of Irish writing being allowed out, being published, is phenomenal. So, Anne, one of the when we talk in terms of female writers, one of the things I wonder is it that there is a higher degree of emotional intelligence among females than there would be among men? And as a result, how <laughs> the characters are approached and how they are presented is in a much richer human emotional way. And that uh, where we're at um, in society is actually more open to that. Oh, I think so. I mean, I think that's 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 a given that we are thankfully moving toward that. I mean, yes, of course, women have always been been very much um, the the better at um, at talking about their feelings, about just having a good old natter about what is going on, and those good old natters um, were are extremely important and were extremely important as as almost counselling sessions, um, and. Um, and yes, I think it does get reflected in the writing as well. Although equally, you know, when I read Donald Ryan, um, he's extremely good at that stuff as well. He captures it brilliantly in words too. Um, so it's not to say that there aren't men out there who are extremely good at getting that onto the page, but I think, yeah, women feel, women have a depth of emotion that I think it's, um, well, certainly for me speaking, as, as a female writer, um, that somebody <laughs> said, you know, when you're having an argument with your husband, is that a really good writing day? <laughs> in, a way, in a way it is, because, you know, you're able to, you're able to just put it into words. You're able to capture the reality of, of the everyday life. I think women are extremely good observers as well. And they're able to see things, um, and again, I'm going back to Aunt Tyler again. Sorry, I'm seeped in Aunt Tyler at the minute. But she's really good at capturing mannerisms within when we're speaking as well, how somebody might speak, how somebody might 
you know, um, pause mid, mid, mid sentence and go off and onto another tangent. So I think, um, we capture that kind of stuff really, really well, which for a reader, certainly as a reader, I find that uh, that is, that is the insight for me as well. It's not just the expression of emotion. Um, it's not just the writing of scene, which is extremely emotional, but it's also capturing our little, our little ticks as human beings. Um, so I think it does bring female writers can bring a, a richness to their writing, something, um, added. Um, and as I say, it's not that other, that, that, that male writers don't, many of them do, but I think there is something we've been given a natural talent, as you say, being able to 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 express our emotions. And so Irish female writers are able to get that onto the page. Not just Irish female writers, obviously not. I mean, I, I think a, a wonderful Canadian writer um, who, again, one of my favourites is Mary Lawson. And she is wonderful. She is brilliant at, at that. Um, and I eat her books up as much as I do anybody else's. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right, Austin. I think we do have a natural talent um, at digging into what it is we feel and getting that into words and into getting that onto the page and putting it in a story that is compelling. And I know we were talking earlier on before we, we came on air about Tommy Tiernan and Tommy's yeah. show and the, the gift that Tommy has, which is this empathy, yeah. this ability yeah. to connect at a deeper level. And mm. in many ways, men run from that. Yeah, they they do. And, you know, it won't be a surprise for anybody to hear that as a 53-year-old Irish woman that I have been surrounded by men in my life who, who don't who, um, shy away from or don't simply don't know how to begin to talk about um, things and very much... Um, conversations within families will be quite superficial. They'll be about, you know, what have you been up to today or whatever. There's a lot of that and a lot about the weather. And look, that comes in any community as well. Um, and I don't mean to be facetious about that. I really don't. But in, in many ways, that's how I've connected with my father all of my life and how he's connected with me. So I don't mean, I, like, it's, it's a true experience. Uh, where there have been times that I really would have liked to have have talked to him and said, well, Dad, how does that feel? You know, and, um, you know, or, or that thing that happened the other day really upset me, Dad. And not to, to not feel that he would think less of me for talking about my, my emotions. So I think ambassadors like Tommy Tiernan, um, you know, uh, 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 on a Saturday night in Ireland are doing us all a big favor, uh, particularly men, but also women, because we're, yes, while, while, whilst predominantly we're pretty good at it, we're not always, always good at it, you know, and I think it's really good to have shows like Tommy Tiernan's, um, and somebody like Tommy Tiernan who we've all grown to love because he's so funny and so wacky. Um, I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but he, he certainly makes, makes a lot of us laugh and then to see him be able to step back and say, okay, but now I want to talk about something that's, that is equally as important as laughter, 
Um, I want to talk about, you know, how people have been hurt um, and really, really give time and give space to that. Um, and I think it can only do a community good, any community good, to allow space for both that and the laughter. And to see, and, and, and I think it does have an impact and I can see it in, you know, even in my own small community here in Mullingar, um, where there's been tragedies, um, and, um, and neighbors, men in particular, standing on the street talking to each other about it and going off for, for walks, um, to talk solely about how they are feeling about a particular thing that has happened. So there is a lovely shift, um, and a needed shift in society, particularly for men, um, to, to be able to speak about what is what is in their hearts and that helps women too and it's wonderful for me to be to as a woman to be able to be surrounded by men who are more open to that it and helps I suppose, us all yeah i suppose one word was coming to my mind as you were saying that and it's really that men are more willing to be vulnerable yeah, well, they're maybe more allowed as well to be vulnerable now. It's maybe, that but yeah, and it's the word vulnerable in a way because yeah. what, what we're talking about is that um, by nature, in a way, the perception was that that vulnerability would, was potentially a weakness. So for you to write about it was writing yeah. about a weakness, whereas where the tide seems to have shifted is vulnerability now is yeah. very much a strength. Because yes. it's giving you oh, the strength yeah. to connect. Yes. Yeah, which is wonderful. Yeah. Which is wonderful. And and I think um as as a society, it's really important that um both for men and women, but that we are given the time and space to be vulnerable. And I think we are better at, mm-hmm. at that now. Um and it it's it's also fi- finding um that treasuring the vulnerability and also feeling supported in in you know finding a bit of strength out of that vulnerability as well. If you if there's a particular thing that has happened to you or you know an experience in early life that or later life that there's a support network there, you know, um, and whilst you know nothing is ever going to be perfect, I think that as communities where we are speaking more. Uh, where we are allowing that time and space that, um, you know, it can only be positive for us all. You know? So it is, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a, a particularly, I mean, during this time of COVID that we've had, I mean, there's, you know, the power of being able to speak and to speak about your vulnerabilities, male or female, um, has been, has been so needed and we haven't been able to see each other in person. But the power of Zoom, the power of phone, the power of um, what, whatever other mechanisms we use has been so important to be able to say, this is actually really hard, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, perhaps COVID came, <laughs> came at the right time in a way that, you know, um, there has been this, this permission to allow your vulnerability show, you know. So before we wrap up, Anne, what's on the um, editing floor at the moment? <laughs> Book three. Yeah. Book three, yeah. Um, so I'm, um, I, I don't tend to talk about the books I'm oh. writing about because I feel like it kind of jinxes it in yeah. a way or else, or else halfway through the book I'll realize 
Actually, that's not what the book is about at all. I have to rewrite that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so if I have an answer to the world, this is what it's about, then I feel compelled. I must write that. But so, yes, um, I'm about halfway through the editing stage of, of book three. And Excellent. hopefully that'll be coming out in the UK and Ireland in 2023. Excellent. And of course, the current book, that's the one where we're talking about is listening still. So it hits the shelves here in um, North America and Canada on the 2nd of March, as I understand it. I think it's the first or second, I anyway, yeah, beginning yeah. of March. And, uh, yeah, uh, so, and it's, it's available in, in all formats, which is great because not everybody is, is into reading, but they can certainly listen to it on audio. You can also get an ebook, but you can also go into your local bookshop. You didn't, uh, you didn't do the recording, did you? Oh, no, I didn't. I tell you who did do it, though. Um, it's by Nicola Cochran, who was what was in Dairy Girls and also was in Bridgerton and has a wonderful voice. And just I was so delighted that she agreed to do this. I was yeah. um, so lucky to have Niall Buggy doing uh, Mars in When All I Said, which is just absolutely stunning. And then when they said they had Nicola for this, I was like, wow, well, you've just hit the jackpot again. So, um, so it's great. I was really, really proud. Indeed. And if anyone wants to find you out there, the website is anngriffin.com. That's and right. That's, and and that's Anne with an E. Anne with an E. AngriffinWriter.com, I think. That's what I'm up with. Yes, AngriffinWriter.com. Because I think okay. somebody had stolen my AngriffinWriter.com. Uh, so I'm com. But yes, you can find me online. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me everywhere, unfortunately. <laughs> Some people might say. <laughs> And it's been such a pleasure chatting. It's been so great oh, catching lovely. up again. And yeah. I look forward to us chatting when book number three is oh, about awesome. to hit the shelves. It's been a joy as ever. Thank you so much for having me on.